Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Okay, well, good morning. Um, We're actually starting a new sermon series uh, this week, and it's in a a little book of Habakkuk. Um, How many of you have actually read the book of Habakkuk? Just raise your hands. Okay, you know, it's kind of a small, obscure book. I love this book. This is a great book. Every year on my read-through of the Bible, I look forward to reading this little three-chapter book. Uh, If you haven't read it before, you ought to do it. It's a quick read. Uh, it's just a blast reading through it. I think you'll, it's kind of unique, kind of a unique book. I've never heard a sermon on before it until I delivered one last night. And so uh, if you haven't heard any Habakkuk sermons recently, uh, this should be a new experience for you. And we're just going to look at chapter 1 today, and then Doug will pick it up in chapter 2 um, next week. So I want to start off with this. Um, we were down in St. Louis uh, at, over Easter, see some uh, grandkids, and there's uh, Cecilia on, on your right and Vivian on your left. Vivian's uh, just turned two before uh, Christmas, and uh, she's a real talkative kid. And she went through the streak. I don't know if any of you uh, have noticed this with your kids, where she went through this uh, kind of rhetorical question streak where instead of just making declarative sentences, she would say, uh, Mommy, is milk white? Or, Daddy, are you my daddy? And then a couple weeks ago, she said to her grandma, Shamel down there, she said, Grandma, are your shoes ugly? (laughs) And you know what a rhetorical question is, right? It isn't like you're trying to elicit an answer. You're trying to make a point. Uh, You're you're making a statement in some kind of like flamboyant way. And I think the typical uh, rhetorical question starts with why. Like, why was I so stupid? Or why can't every day be like this? Or why can't the Indians hit? Or something like that, you know? And so typically they start with why. And that's uh, basically what's going on in this chapter right here. Because Habakkuk's got a complaint with God. And his complaint is, why is God not acting against injustice? Right? Habakkuk lived about 600 years before Jesus. And uh, Israel had been reduced to about half its original size, which is already pretty small, right? Israel is only the size of New Jersey. uh, And now it's like half that size, right? And there being, you know, there's all kinds of bad stuff going on in the country. And Habakkuk is like, man, we are so wicked and evil right here. And I don't know if you've ever asked this question yourself. Why isn't God acting against injustice? I think everybody gets to a point where they're going, "Why, why are things so bad? Why doesn't God do something about that? And it might not be on a big scale, but it might be on a little scale. Like maybe in your family situation, you're wondering, why doesn't God answer my prayers and make things better here and straighten things out? There's just so much bad stuff going on here, and I've tried everything that I can. Or maybe it's a work situation where you're going like, man, it just seems like things are going from bad to worse here. Or in your neighborhood, it's just like crazy time or something. And it's like, why doesn't God act against injustice? Uh, Lee Strobel wrote this book called The Case for Faith. He was a, a journalist who's like probing some of the big questions. And he wrote this book about the biggest objections people have to Christianity. And the number one objection, the one that starts out the book, uh, and it's the one, you know, we first hit in my 
ethics class when we, we take a look at this book, and kids have this question all the time too, and the objection goes like this, since evil and suffering exist, a loving God cannot. I mean, the, the idea is like, if God is good, and he's loving, and he's got all the power, then what's up with all this badness in the world? Like, wh- wh- this doesn't seem to make sense. And Habakkuk's kind of coming out of that same thing. And so here's, here's what he says. Uh, we started out, and it's in verse 1. It says, this is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Why do you make me see these evil deeds? Why do you do nothing about this wrong? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. Does that sound a little contemporary? I mean, this is something I think in every generation people would say, and I think sometimes you and I feel this acutely living in the generation um, that we do. And so Habakkuk is, you know, even though he wrote this thing 20, you know, 600 years ago or so, he's, he seems to be just right on right here. Um, Habakkuk is reminding God and he's reminding us that evil is overwhelming the good. And it sometimes seems like evil is going to win. You know, I teach a lot of Shakespeare, and uh, this year um, we hit uh, Macbeth. And there's a place in Macbeth in Act 4 where the, probably the only good guy left in the country, his name is Macduff, under, you know, he's under Macbeth's evil rule. Um, Macduff has fled the country, you know, and, and his life is being threatened as a traitor. He's got a, a little boy who's about 10 years old. And uh, this kid t- uh, asks his mother, uh, this one day, he goes like, so they call dad a traitor. What's a, what's a traitor? And his wife, you know, the Macduff's wife, his mother, is trying to explain this in simple terms. And she says, well, a traitor is somebody who uh, swears and lies. And, he go, and, and he says, well, what, what happens with traitors? Uh, what happens to these liars and swearers? And his mother goes, well, the good, the good guys hang them. And then the kid says something that's profound. He says, then the liars and swearers are fools, for there are liars and swearers enough to beat the honest men and hang up them. So his take is, you know what? Why would the bad guys let the good guys hang them? The, good, the bad guys totally outnumber the good guys. Why don't they take, just take out the good guys? You know, have you ever thought that you know, that's eventually going to happen? I mean, that's where Habakkuk's coming from. He's going like, if these bad guys ever get together, we're in even more trouble than we are in now. Uh, just to illustrate this, I mean, you think about all the bad rulers we've got all over the world, and we, all, these, all the bad citizens all over the world, and then you think that even the cream of the crop becomes corrupt. Like, here are two Nobel Peace Prize winners of the last, like, 30 years. The one on the left is Aung San Suu from Myanmar, and she won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1991 because she was instrumental in shutting down the military junta that ran the country and oppressed the country. And um, she really was part of the democracy movement that made things so much better in Myanmar. 
But then she became uh, the leader of the country. And, um, you know, in the last 10, 15 years. And she began taking bribes. And she also became, was really instrumental in the uh, genocide against the Rohingya Muslim minority that was so horrific, it has been so horrific, in Myanmar. And so many people are calling for that prize to be revoked. The guy on the right is Abiy Ahmed. He's from Ethiopia. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2019, and he richly deserved it. He brought an end to the uh, Ethiopian-Eritrean war that had taken place for 18 years and had killed so many people. He brought peace to his country in a lot of different ways. But then in the last year and a half, there's been a pesky minority that's uh, raised its head against him in kind of rebellion. And he's been uh, guilty of war crimes against them, and, and he's trying to just wipe them out completely as a people. Another genocide that's going on in Ethiopia. And people are going like, we gave this guy the Nobel Peace Prize? What's up with that? And so it's like evil just seems like so pervasive. And Habakkuk's going, God, why don't you do something about that? You know, the origins of the, of the problem, I think we can look back to the way things started in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. And you, you probably know the story. I mean, God has created this perfect world. We've got this, all this great, I mean, you, you got a taste of it, right, this last week as spring just breaking out in northeast Ohio. So beautiful. You're going, man, I can see what, you know, get a glimpse of what it was like in the perfection of the Garden of Eden. And then, uh, the, you know, as the time goes along, God says, you know what, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to make people. And it says in Genesis 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let's make human beings in our image to be like us. And I'm thinking, if I was like God's advisor back in that day, I would have gone like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you sure you want to do that? I mean, you got this beautiful creation here, and now you want to make like little gods? You want to make like human beings? I mean, you're gonna, if they're like you, then they're going to have the ability to say yes, but they're going to have the ability to say no. And they can be rebellious. I mean, you've got the potential there of these people turning into a bunch of punks. Are you sure you really want to do that? And then God says, they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He goes like, I'm not only going to make them like me, I'm going to give them dominion over the earth. It's going to be their earth. And that's the way it is. I mean, this is our planet, right? He says, your earth, you take care of it. And I'm, I mean, again, if I'm God's advisor, I'm going, are you sure you want to do that? You want to give these people who have this potential to say no and be rebellious and be horrible? You want to give them power over this whole thing? Are you sure? I mean, I, that's too big a risk, man. But God did it. I think that's what love is all about, though, isn't it? Like, love sets you free to love back or to not love back. It doesn't stalk. It doesn't control. It, you know, it, it allows people to have dignity. And that's what God did. He said, you, you can make the choice. I, I think there are a couple of implications uh, that this has for me. One is that I have some responsibilities in this mess, and on two levels. 
I mean, one is I can't just sit around and go like, oh, the world is so much injustice, it's all the fault of the communists, or it's all the fault of the racists, or whatever boogeyman is all around at the particular time. I mean, it's like part of the injustice in the world is like I've created it, you know? In my own small way, where I've been, I'm a perpetrator right here. But I also have responsibility in that as a ruler and a co-ruler with you in this world, and it's a world that's even worse than when it started, right? Because Satan's supernatural evil has also invaded and is exacerbating the problem. But I can do something about it. I can't, you know, I can't change the whole world, but I can do what Jesus said. I can love my neighbor. I can make it a little better as it goes along. I have some responsibilities in this mess. You know, I, I think of this, an analogy of this. Um, by the way, that's uh, Jaden right there, right in the middle, Jaden Deblock. Uh, this is like a picture of one of the big musical productions from Lutheran West from a couple of years ago, Fiddler on the Roof. And with our, you know, we got this awesome uh, drama director at school who does these big musicals every spring. But back in the day, uh, a previous drama director would do a one-act play festival. So what this drama director would do is this. She would she'd, uh, go to about three or four seniors every spring, and she'd go like, hey, you've been in the drama program for, you know, two, three, maybe this is your fourth year in here. I want you to direct a one-act play. You pick the play, you pick your characters, you work with them, you do the sets, it's all yours. I'm going to keep my hands off of this. Now, if you need any help, you call on me, but I'm just going to let you handle it. And so she put it in the hands of these people. She delegated all the authority for that. And some of these plays turned out pretty good. Some of them, not so good. You know, but she kept hands off. And every once in a while, she'd hear a play had gone bad or was not going anywhere. She'd sidle up to the director and she'd go to the student director. She'd say, hey, do you want any help? Uh, I, can, I can help you out a little bit. But she'd wait for them, right? And I think that's the way God works in this world. He's going like, your world, I'm delegating it to you. You're like a prince here in this thing. You do it. You've got responsibility. But call on me if you need help. And I think that's the second implication, is that I need to invite God into these situations. I mean, I think that's what fundamentally prayer is, isn't it? Prayer is where we're giving permission to God. It sounds weird, doesn't it? Give permission to God to step into our situation. And I think sometimes God is just going like in our ear, and he's going, hey, call up on me in the day of trouble. Talk to me about this. You've got an unjust situation. Do that. Call, I'm here to help. I'm here to help. And so many times, we're racking our brains trying to run the show, and we never get around to really calling on the one who can really help us out in the situation. And so what Habakkuk is doing here in this first chapter, he is inviting God into the situation. He's going, God, please do something. That's what his rhetorical question is is kind of uh, suggesting right here. He's inviting God into the situation. Now, as Americans, this is what we assume. We go like, what God is going to do, he's going to raise up a superhero. So we're going to have this mighty person step into the situation and save the day, 
And he's going to stand for truth, justice, and the American way, right? He's going to take care of it. Let me show you what God says to Habakkuk instead of that, okay? So we're going to look at God's response. And this picks up the chapter in verse 5. Then the Lord replied, Look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. He goes, you're going to be surprised at what I'm going to do. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile up ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past the wind, past like the wind and are gone. But they are deeply guilty, and their own strength is their God. Did you expect that? He's going like, yeah, I'm going to bring justice here, so I'm going to bring the bad guys. I'm bringing the Babylonians. Babylonians were bad to the bone, as you could see here uh, from this section. God's not, he's not like uh, painting them as any better than they actually are. This is kind of weird, but really what God's doing here, and this is something that he has done again and again in history, he's using the Babylonians as a scourge as a scourge. I remember like trying to get my mind around this and I, I finally kind of figured it out as I was like going through Hamlet years ago. Uh, another Shakespearean play, right? So Hamlet is like this guy who's, he's a young man and his father had just died. And so he gets this, he gets this like visitor, supernatural visitor who goes like, it's, it's, it's in the form of his f- dead father. His father says, hey, I was murdered. Get justice for me. You've got to take revenge on this whole thing. And so Hamlet goes like, oh, yeah, i got to do that. I love my dad, you know. I've got to, I've got to set things right is the way he thinks of it. And then he kind of blunders around and he delays and he stalls and he can't figure out what to do. And he's thinking, well, maybe I can get justice here. I could maybe talk to my mom or maybe I could kill the king or whatever. He ends up killing a a guy by accident. And then he says this, Heaven hath pleased it so to punish me with this and this with me that I must be their scourge and minister. So he's going, you know what? I've got this task, but I'm a scourge and a minister. So he's going, there's two different ways that I could go about this, and I don't know which one I'm going to do. So first of all, we got the minister. Okay, The minister is a person who uses good methods who becomes God's agent of justice. So I got a picture up here of somebody giving counsel. So when I look at this picture, I'm thinking Jojo, right? Because Jojo's taking courses right now uh, to be a a licensed counselor, right? So you will have a credential, is that correct? And so I just see, I see like Jojo talking to people who are like say victims of injustice or maybe they themselves are contributing to it and she's trying to like give them the truth and pray with them and straighten them out and just try to help the situation to to be rectified and Hamlet goes yeah I could be like that yeah maybe maybe that's the way I could be 
Or you could become a scourge. So this is like the anti-Jojo here. So the scourge is a person who uses evil methods, but he becomes God's agent of justice. So the, the theologians in the Middle Ages always pictured like the scourge as like a club in the hand of God. So here's all these evildoers, and they're murdering, and they're killing, and they're putting people in the death camp camps. And God goes like, okay, i got to take these guys out because they're so evil. So he takes this club, and he, he beats them back, you know, and there's blood that's shed and stuff. And then God goes, okay, I've taken out the bad guys here. The Hitlers are, are done with. And then he takes this bloody club, and he throws it in the fire because he's going, it's good for nothing else. And so the scourge was somebody who would use evil methods, accomplishing God's purposes, but then they would be sent to hell. There's a minister and a scourge. And you want to be a minister, don't you? You don't want to be a scourge, but there are scourges around. Like one of the most famous ones was Attila the Hun. Attila the Hun was actually called by people at the time the scourge of God. He came in and he attacked Rome Rome, which had been oppressing all these people all over the, the world. And, take, and he actually weakened Rome's power. And these people were so grateful for being liberated from Rome, they called Attila the scourge of God. Uh, Genghis Khan was another one. Genghis Khan said this, if you had not committed great sins, God would not have sent a punishment like me upon you. So they were instruments of God going, sins are going to get punished. This evil doing cannot go on. I'm going to bring the justice that these people really deserve in this situation. And when you think about it, uh, in contemporary history, this has probably been reenacted again. I mean, here's this horrible Hitler and Hitlerian empire rising up, right, in the 30s and 40s. But what really did him in? If you know your history... It wasn't so much the good guys, first of all, getting on the case, but he ran into an equally evil person in Joseph Stalin in Russia. And that battle in uh, Moscow and in, in uh, Stalingrad, that's what really did the Nazis in. Evil destroyed evil. And then we could walk in and, and win the thing at the end. You know, God sometimes uses evil people to mete out his justice. And this is something that we can recognize in history. It's just exactly what God was telling Habakkuk he was going to do there in, in about 600 B.C. You know, if you think about it, the cross, what we just celebrated in the last few weeks, is the perfect scourge minister event. Jesus was the minister of all ministers, wasn't he? So he comes on and he heals the sick, he drives out evil demons, He's like bringing the truth to people, calling them to repentance. He's loving his enemies. He's praying for his persecutors on the cross even. He's the minister. But the scourge in that situation is who? It's like the Roman uh, authorities. It's like the religious leaders. They're the scourge in that situation. You're going, yeah, but are they really like uh, wiping out evil in this case? Yeah. Jesus was guilty, wasn't he? Not because of anything he did, but because he's carrying all the sins of Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin and Attila the Hun and Genghis Khan and the Babylonians and Jim Fenske and you, 
all of us around here, all that stuff, all that rebellion, all those ways that we have gone wayward, he was carrying all that stuff on him to atone for us. And so justice was obtained at the cross. Justice and mercy at the same time. The perfect scourge minister event which saved us all. Habakkuk's not happy with God's response. He doesn't like the scourge stuff. And this is what he says. So he's back up there talking to God again, and he goes in verse 12, O Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. So why do you wink at their treachery? He's going, yeah, I understand why you're doing this to us. But he's going like, but can you put up with them? You're just going to look and wink at this and, keep, and close your eyes to how evil they are? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? He goes, they're worse than we are. Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods that have made us rich, they will claim. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? Good questions, right? Well, guess what? We've come to the end of the chapter. So you're going to have to come back next week to find out how God, this is a cliffhanger at Community of Hope, right? You didn't even expect this. this is awesome. Okay, Doug's going to pick that up next week. Uh, and so just to conclude, there's really three lessons, I think, that we can learn from Habakkuk chapter 1. And the first one is this, that God is well aware of injustice, and he will deal with it. People are not going to get away with stuff, you know? And so as we look at all the horrific stuff that's going on, the stuff that just seems like people are getting away with it, you know, and they're prospering, and they're doing better than we are, and, they're, and, and you're going, like, this is horrible. It's like God going, hey, I'm on the case. In my time, I will deal with it. The second lesson is that I cannot expect God to explain his actions. You know, if you're a, a person who is always asking why questions to God, like, God, why, are you, why aren't you... Why, what? God doesn't answer those questions very often. I mean, you can read the Bible from beginning to end. He, he's not a God who typically like, honors those kind of questions. And if you're one of these people that goes like, well, I can't wait to get to heaven because when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why. Hey, don't expect him to be that happy with those questions either. I mean, he might just blow you off there. And I got a feeling that by that time, you're going to go like, you know what? This guy's good. I don't even care. You know, I, he's on the case. He had it right all along. And, you know, it's like, hey, God, God doesn't have to explain things to the satisfaction of our pea brains. I think that's the deal. I can't expect it. But the third lesson is this. I live by God's promises, not by explanations. That's what we've got to understand as believers. It's not about being a Christian is not about, hey, I'm going to find out all the answers to all the questions in the universe to my satisfaction so that I can feel confident I'm on the right side. That's not the deal. No, the deal is God is going like, look, and that's what he did to Habakkuk. He's going, you want a why? I'm going to give you a promise. Okay? 
And that's where we live. And we live by a lot of promises from God. God has promised, he says, I will work everything together for your good because you love me. I will write my laws on your hearts and in your minds. I will lead you and guide you and take you where you need to go. I will not remember your sins anymore. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will come back to take you to, to where I am. I, am. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And if you live and believe in me, I promise you, you will never die. Let's pray. Lord, um, I want to thank you for Habakkuk. I want to thank you for a guy that's just a straight shooter who just thinks about these kind of things that, that I think about, and I know my brothers and sisters think about too, and he had the guts to just uh, bring the whole situation up. And I want to thank you, Lord, for just, um, just for what you do. I, I can't understand it. We just don't get it all the time, but we know that you're good. And I want to thank you that you, Lord Jesus, were the minister who took the beating from the scourges uh, in, in, in your time when you came here to die on the cross, that you took that blame so we wouldn't have to go through that eternal scourging um, that, that was our potential lot. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning that you would give us the faith to trust in you, to trust in your good promises, to walk with you and to not, uh, to not let down. I want to thank you, Lord, for those promises, those promises which are all good and your answers that are yes and amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.